You're listening to the Echo Church Podcast. For more information about our church, please visit our website at echowashington.org. So let's read Ecclesiastes chapter 1, and then let's pray, and then we'll walk through this. Just remember, as we're reading this, like this is the Lord's Word, right? Penned by man, by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, but it is the mind of God. So let's read it knowing that he's speaking to us, and we'll pray. Verse, chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. Vanity of vanities, says the preacher. Vanity of vanities, all is vanity. What does man gain by all the toil at which he toils under the sun? A generation goes, and a generation comes, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun goes down and hastens to the place where it rises. The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north. Around and around goes the wind. And on its circuits, the wind returns. All streams run to the sea, but the sea is not full. To the place where the streams flow, there they flow again. All things are full of weariness, and man cannot utter it. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. What has been is what will be, and what has been done is what will be done. And there's nothing new under the sun. Is there a thing of which it is said, See, this is new. It has been already in the ages before us. There's no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of later things yet to be among those who come after. Verse 12. I, the preacher, have been king over Israel and Jerusalem, and I applied my heart to seek and to search out by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. It is an unhappy business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with. I have seen everything that is done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity, a striving after the wind. What is crooked cannot be made straight, and what is lacking cannot be counted. I said in my heart, I have acquired great wisdom, surpassing all who were over Jerusalem before me, and my heart has had great experience of wisdom and knowledge. And I applied my heart to know wisdom and to know madness and folly. I perceive that this also is but a striving after wind. For in much wisdom is much vexation, and he who increases knowledge increases sorrow. Let's pray. God, this is your word, and you're speaking to us this morning, and there are things in here that maybe we have questions about. And so, Lord, I pray that you would illuminate our hearts to hear your words this morning, and not just to hear them, Lord, but like this writer says, apply them to our lives. Lord, there's something greater that our hearts are longing for, and you're sharing that with us this morning. So God, wherever we find ourselves this morning, we look to your word. May you speak to us now. In Jesus' name, amen. So not the most uplifting verses in scripture, is it? Like here's a man who's experienced everything. And what does he say at the end of the day? Man, it's like you can't ever get enough. It's a chasing after, after the wind nothing that you can grasp will bring you meaning. Like there's a lot of language in here. And I want to just slowly work through a few verses so you can see what, what this is saying. Now, many think this is Solomon because it says the preacher, the son of David, king in Jerusalem. But Jesus was considered the son of David, right? Kings in the lineage were considered the son of David. And so we're not sure. There are, there are 
resemblances that it could be, but we're not fully sure. But again, that doesn't matter. Here's a man who's learning from his wisdom and learning from his life, right? Like, I think one of the best things we could do as people is hang out with people that are well older than us and ask them good questions. Ask them, man, if you could go back to your 20s, what would you do differently? Tell me something about why your marriage has lasted. Right? Like, tell me something about how you parented your children. I think we would do well to look to those that are older than us who have lived because they do have wisdom in this life. And this man learned from all that he gained. And he says this in verse 2, he says, Vanity of vanities. Vanity of vanities, he says it again, all is vanity. What is he saying here? Um, and this is going to help lay the foundation and paint a picture for going forward. Uh, some versions say futile, right? Futility. It, it means there's this idea that we're chasing things that actually are meaningless. The word actually is the word for vapor, like a breath. So just imagine it's wintertime and you walk outside and you breathe, right? You breathe hot air. You see your breath come out, and then in an instant, it disappears. James, brother of Jesus, talks about this too. What is your life but a mist? Here one moment and gone the next. Pretty uplifting, isn't it? Your life is a vapor. All that you could ever accomplish is a vapor. You're here one second, and in a moment, you're gone. And we live in the context of time. And I remember my mom when I was 18, 17, 18, because she would always tell me, Robbie, that was what I went by to my mom, you're not invincible. Anybody ever tell you that? And I would always shoot back, I know, I know, but I'll tell you this, I, my, I believe that I was. Like my actions showed that the things that I did were not the wisest things little reckless. And I look at our lives, and if you look at your, this moment in history, we are 10,000 years into this earth being existed. You may think longer, but okay, that's fine. But what is 50 years, 60 years, 70 years, 120 years in the scheme of thousands of generations? It's going to get better, so hang with me. My grandpa, he died when he was 40, 41, before I was born. Never knew him. This is Robert Rash II. And I've heard stories about him, and I've seen pictures of him. My mom, my grandma, my mom's mom, died when she was 55. I was 12. I remember this. She's a great woman. My mom died when she was 56. I was 29. I got to spend 29 years with her. Right? Now, my grandma is 87, and she's still kicking in there, right? She is, like, mentally aware with it. She can't see, but, man, she's so sharp. She prays for us. And did I tell you this? She's, she's married for the third time. So my grandpa passed away when he was 40. She survived for many years by herself, raising my dad and his sisters. And then she married the grandpa I knew, and then he passed away, and then she married Al Johnson, who's a sweet man who's 91. And when I went to that wedding, I said, Grandma, congratulations. I'm so happy for you, you know. And she said, Robbie, I'm getting too old for this. <laughs> this is the last time I do this. 
And we look at my grandma, and we look at people we know, and 87, 91, that's a long life. But in the midst of this world, it's but a vapor. We talk about legacy. If anyone ever talked to you about legacy, what legacy are you going to live? Like we like to place blame on those who've come before us for our behavior now. Well, my dad didn't do this. Well, my mom didn't do this. Well, I didn't get raised. Can I say a hard word to you? It doesn't matter. You, by the grace of God, have the ability to change the trajectory of your life. You don't have to be who your parents were. Okay? And I say that with grace, knowing that it's difficult. We talk about legacy. You want another harsh word? You will be forgotten. In this world. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning? <laughs> like, we like to think that our legacy will last and last and roll. And I know that in two generations after I've passed away, my great-grandkids might talk about their grandpa but they won't know me, and then I'll be forgotten. Sure, there are people in history that we still talk about, right? I mean, we're talking about Jesus 2,000 years ago. We're talking, we talk about Napoleon. We talk about these famous people in history, whether they do good or bad. Usually, it's what they do is bad. But they're the exception. They're the rarity, and one day they will be forgotten, my point in saying this is this preacher in Ecclesiastes, as he's gathering the assembly of, this is what the Greek word for church is ekklesia, mean, meaning gathering. The Germans are the one that changed it to church. So thank you, German people. But ekklesia is the Greek word that means gathering. We get it from the Hebrew word, which means the assembly. Ecclesiastes means the gathering of the people. And this guy is gathering his people people and he's teaching them and the first thing he says is man it's all futile all your life not the words you want to start out with the sermon so we're catching a picture here that our lives they do matter but we have to have in perspective an eternal picture because eternity does last forever what we do now affects what we do in the future and i think what we do now affects eternity. So then he goes on, right? And he's talking about what does man gain by all he toil? Like, you know, you work hard, right? Like, we were made to work. Unfortunately, the work has increased and become harder because of the rebellion of God's people. Um, we call this East of Eden. You ever heard this term before? So God created the Garden of Eden, and it was perfect. And man was in there, and then man messed up, and God kicked him out. And ever since then, the world has been broken, and we've been toiling under the sun, trying to get back to this perfection that God had created, right? And so now we work hard. And he goes on that, what will you gain with all the toil? You toil under the sun. A generation goes and a generation comes, right? And the earth remains forever. Like, you're the most important creation to God, and yet you sit on this big dirt ball. And our lives will come and pass, and this earth is still here. He talks about the sea, right? These rivers, they go into the sea. He talks about the sun coming up and it goes down and we can't control it. He talks about the wind blowing. 
And I love this. This is a beautiful picture, right? The wind blows to the south and goes around to the north, and around and around goes the wind on its circuits. The wind returns. You ever seen the jet stream? You ever seen the meteorologist, you know, like when you're watching them and they have like the, oh, it's a low pressure here and a high pressure here and you see it. Have you ever actually seen it out in nature? Like I've seen it. It is the weirdest thing. It's like you can see where the wind is like moving. And I find that here in the Bible talks about the wind on its circuit. I, I have to believe that's what he's talking about. Like I think they saw the wind in the air moving. All things are full of weariness. Like this is what he's saying here. It's like the sea never gets full. No matter how much water runs into it, the wind continues to move around the earth. Nothing that we do changes it. Yet there's significance to us. East of Eden, after we have been separated from God, we live in a cursed meaningless existence, right? Seeking lasting joy in things that will eventually let us down. This is what the writer, I believe, is saying when he says, under the sun, that we chase and we chase and we chase for things that we believe will bring us ultimate fulfillment. And in the end, they let us down every time. This is our life under the sun. This is our life east of Eden. Now, see if you can finish the sentence for me. There are two things in life you can count on. What are they? Death and taxes. Right? I'm going to take it further. I think there's a cycle of life, and it goes similar to this. Birth. Marriage. Not always, but birth, marriage, family, work, death. Like, if we could write the story of our lives, that would be the story of our lives. It wouldn't matter if we made the all-star team at the Washington Corey League Baseball League. And then they called you by the wrong name when you got your chance to bat. True story. <laughs> no one ever asked me, um, job interviews and my resume, so tell me about when you were 11 year, years old on the Washington Corey League team. Tell me about college, like, There's a cycle to life, and ultimately it ends with death, that you cannot outrun death. I promise you it's going to get better. What do we learn in Ecclesiastes? It's like, okay, so let's just, let's just, run, this, let's just run this scenario. Do dishes ever get done? Okay, like I'm thinking of the stay-at-home moms. Any mom. You wake up, you do the dishes, and by the end of the day, guess what's in the sink? More dishes. You do laundry, you fold laundry, you put away laundry, and guess what's in the laundry basket at the end of the day? More laundry. It is like, you ever seen Groundhog's Day? This is this movie about this guy in, uh, how do you pronounce the, Pontotuxie, Pennsylvania, right? The home of the, the gopher. And he gets a chance to live this day over and over again. And he wakes up and he goes through the day and he has to get it just right. And then 
he fails, and then he wakes up the next day, and it's the same thing happening over, the same encounters, the same conversations. And he's driving him bananas because he's trying to figure out what is my point in life, and what does he realize at the end? He's sitting down with the woman he loves, and he says, I don't need anything else. I'm happy. And then guess what? It's over. But a lot of times, our life feels like this. We get up, we go to the same job, we wear the same clothes, we get the same paycheck, we see the same people, we do the same dishes, we do the same laundry, we eat the same food every day and every week of our lives. And there's more to life than living in the cycle. I was at my brother-in-law's couple shower. New thing, when you get married, you go and you do a couple shower, so it's not like, and we're still doing like bachelor party and this and that. But we get together and we, we hang out as a family and we get to ask questions and we have fun. And I heard a gentleman there talk about his dad and his dad retired. And he said, man, after he retired, like two years was enough and he was done. And I'm like listening, I'm like listening to this conversation, but I'm listening to his conversation. I'm like, man, tell me more. I want to hear more about this. And what he said was his dad had retired, but he couldn't sit still. Like he couldn't just, he couldn't fish and golf every day. I'm like, I'd like to try. <laughs> he says, no, really. Like it, it got to the point where that it wasn't enough. And he went back to work. Um, Bertrand Russell, he was an atheist um, writer, I believe. And he talked about like life is so like empty and it's like going to the ocean and staring into the ocean and realizing this is all there is. Hemingway talked about life is a dirty joke. That's what he said. Life is a dirty joke. And I think if this is all that life is, like if you are, if there are, if you are an atheist and you believe there is no God, there, this is all your existence, then I would have to say it is meaningless because you will be forgotten. And all that you achieved is left on earth while you perish. Let's go back to junior high days. Remember no fear shirts? Remember those? I never had one of those because my dad was good with his money. He didn't buy me needless shirts I didn't need. I remember wanting to get jeans with rips in them. You know what my dad said? I'm not paying that much money for jeans with holes in them. I'll put holes in your jeans you got. <laughs> okay. No fear was the shirt. And one of their tagline, taglines was, he who dies with the most, most toy still dies. No fear. Like, there's truth in that. There's a reality that we, you and I have to live in, that, that our lives are meaningful, but one day they will end. And what did we pour our lives into? What are we investing our lives into? I love what this writer says because he says he asked for wisdom and he had all wisdom. And he said, even in wisdom, it wasn't enough. It was meaningless. And then he said what? He, be, he had madness and folly. Like he chose to follow the world. I mean, I'm thinking like the prodigal son. I'm going to go waste my inheritance. I'm going to go do everything I physically can. And what happens? He says, it's a chasing after the wind. It's always unfulfilling. If this is Solomon, guess how many wives he had? Anybody? Bible scholars in here? 700. I'm not lying. 
You know how many concubines he had were like wives, but they just weren't technically married? 300. 1,000. And he's the wisest man on earth. He didn't find fulfillment in that. He didn't find fulfillment in the wisdom he had. This is a dangerous thing because we can look at the world and be like, they're so foolish. They're so living for the wrong thing, right? And we get this self-righteousness built up in us and we look at our Christianity and we put our righteousness in our Christianity. The Pharisees did this. They thought that by following the rules, and there were many, that in that, they would find meaning. But guess what? They never found the meaning because outside of Christ, there is no meaning. There is no purpose. There is no hope. God wants to expose the meaninglessness of life in a cursed world in order to create a hunger for something better. Okay, now, this is key because there are many good things and gifts that God gives us, right? He didn't have to create you with taste buds. We could have been in the matrix, eating slop. Right? Remember that? They didn't know because it was all digital and they programmed you to taste things. He could have made us that way, that we didn't actually have taste. But he gave us these taste buds that are so, like, they're amazing. I know a guy who's a coffee roaster, a master coffee roaster. You can take a bean from anywhere in the world and you can give it to him and he can smell it and taste it. And he can tell you not just what continent it's from, not what country within that continent, but what region within that country within that continent. Just by tasting the bean. You know, wine has like 26 different flavors and he says coffee has like, like 300 and something different parts to it. I could be way off, but it's like that extreme, right? Like our taste buds, eating food is a gift. I can eat that medium rare steak. Mm, man, it's good. But if I start worshiping that steak, then I've just made a good thing, a God thing, and then it becomes a bad thing. Right? The hobbies that we have, those are good things. They're meant to be enjoyed. Youth sports, I'm not trying to bash. They're good things. I like seeing my kids play things and enjoy them. I like seeing your kids play things and enjoy them. But when they become a God thing, then it becomes a bad thing. Clothes are not bad. Having a certain way you look is not bad. But when that becomes more important than having God-centered in your life, it's a bad thing. God wants to expose the meaninglessness of a life in a cursed world, right? This world is cursed. Would you agree? Can we go back to Genesis 3? That ever since the fall of Adam and Eve, the world's been spun in motion and it's been broken. That's why you, when you go pick a rose, you have to be careful because there's thorns on the rose. Guess what? Pre-fall, I don't think there's thorns on the rose bush. Pre-fall, I don't think there were thorns on blackberry bushes. Pluck them and eat them and not worry about getting stuck. Before the fall, the lamb played with the lion. But because of the fall, we live in this cursed, cursed world. And because of that, in order to create a hunger for something better, this is what God want, is teaching us. This reminds me of Matthew chapter 5, verse 6. 
This is Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And one of my prayers for Christine and myself lately, I have it on my phone, is, Lord, give me a desire and a hunger for you. Like, give me a hunger and a desire, because I have a hunger and desire for many things. And they certainly get me off kilter. And I'm praying, Lord, give me a hunger and desire for you, first and foremost in all things. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus is teaching the Beatitudes. And he says this to the crowd, and he's really teaching the disciples here, but he's telling the crowd that someone may grab a hold of this. Is blessed are those who hunger and thirst for what? Righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Like when we thirst for the things of God, we find satisfaction. That's why when you go to Colton Steakhouse and you get that medium rare steak and it's seasoned just right, and it's falling apart, and you eat it. You give thanks to God for that steak, and it doesn't just end at the steak. And in that moment, you're getting satisfied. Does that make sense? If we don't give God glory and thank him for the things that we have, for the, the good graces he's given us, as simple as a steak, then it ends at the steak, and the steak gets the glory. And the steak's just a meat from a cow that's eating out in a field. But God is the one who created that. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. I want to be satisfied. Can I let you in on a little secret? Maybe it's not a secret. It's just like confession time for Rob. Group therapy. I'm learning how to unroot the sin that's living in my heart. And I'm having to look inward and be like, Lord, reveal to me what am I struggling with? What am I holding on to? And one of the things that I've, there's probably more than one, but the thing that I'm really learning now is I am very discontent. Right? It's like running on a treadmill, thinking you're going to reach your destination. And you get off and you've gone nowhere. And this is, this is weird because the discontentment in my heart, I need to be content in Christ. We as, a, as believers in Christ, our contentment lies in the work of Christ, not in our work. Our accomplishments. It's the accomplishment of Christ, our contentment. And this is difficult because we desire the praise of men. And so I'm learning that contentment in my heart. I'm like, Lord, teach me contentment. Teach me to be content with what I have instead of longing and desire. And this is crazy. It gets even crazier. Because as a church planter, I have friends that church plant, and I see what they're doing, and I see what God's doing in their churches. And I'm discontent. And I look at our church, and I'm like, we've got a great thing. We've got a beautiful church. Why am I longing for something that isn't us, that isn't who God's called us to be? Right? Isn't that insane? That's wrong. That's idolatry. And Jesus reminds us that we need to hunger and thirst for righteousness because it's in that and the things of God that we will be satisfied. And ultimately, it's only in Christ that we find our satisfaction. I'm going to end with this. There is hope for us. Um, Romans chapter 8. This is a beautiful chapter, and I was reading it this week preparing for this 
sermon, preparing, preparing for this teaching. And Romans 8 is a beautiful chapter. And I posted this, and I would encourage you, man, take some time and read this slowly. I think you would be encouraged. I think your spirit would be lifted. I think it would be crushed at the same time it will be lifted because this relies on the work of what Christ did. And one of the things he says, he says, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, you, but if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption. Listen to this, as sons. This includes women too. When he, you read that in scripture and it just says sons, you have to understand in that culture, the son got the inheritance. And in saying this, he's saying, listen, we are all children of, the, of, of God and we have an inheritance that only the son gets. Not just for sons. By whom we cry, Abba, Father. Listen, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if the children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellowship, heirs with Christ. And then he goes on and he talks about, for we know that the whole creation, listen to this, has been groaning together in pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we eagerly await for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. What Paul is saying here is there is an inwardness in us that will be unsatisfied unless we find our satisfaction in Jesus. This is what the writer of Ecclesiastes is saying. You can chase after everything this world has to offer you. And he did it. And he was saying, man, it's like grabbing the wind. You ever tried to grab the wind? You ever roll the windows down, drive down the road, put your hand out? Man, it, feel, it feels like you could grab a ball of air. I love seeing my kids do like, Dad, this is cool. And they're like, and I'm like, yeah, start, start doing this, you know, and you get going really fast. It's like, your arm starts, you're like, whoa, pull it in. <laughs> you can feel the wind and you can, you can, you can make, like, I put my hand out, I can feel like I've got a ball. And then I bring it inside and it's like, it's gone. In our lives, will we put Christ first? Will you believe that he is what satisfies us more than anything else? Because he's given us good gifts. And within the bounds of that perspective of Christ first, they are good gifts. Marriage is a beautiful thing. The benefits of marriage are awesome. Not without work, but they are awesome. Eating good food and having taste buds is a good thing, but it's not a God thing. There's only one thing that can satisfy us that we won't be grasping at the wind, and that's Jesus. The young people, he is the only thing that will satisfy you. I spent my life chasing him and chasing things. Guess who's still there for me? Jesus. Not my dreams, not my goals. Those are good things. He is the only one. My marriage with Christine is a great thing. But she cannot satisfy me like Jesus can. This church, if it grows and does crazy stuff, cannot satisfy me like Jesus can. Your dreams, your goals will not satisfy you like Christ can. This is our prayer. I have a prayer for us. And um, I want to ask you to pray this prayer. 
that you would cry out to him in confession. Like, let's just be honest. Let's have a moment of transparency. That we would cry out and confess to him that we have tried to find meaning in something or someone other than him and then find our meaning in him. I remember thinking I couldn't be single. I remember praying in my apartment as a youth pastor in O'Fallon, Missouri. I wasn't really praying. It was just letting God have a piece of my mind. And the Lord, like, my phone rang and I answered it in the midst of my lashing out at God. And it was my, one of my best friends saying, hey, do you know this Christine girl? I think you guys should go out together. Was it because I prayed? Probably not. I don't know. It just happened. But I felt like being married would bring me satisfaction, fulfillment. And guess what? It, it can't. Not like Christ can. So wherever you are, the thing that you're struggling with, the thing that you're chasing and pursuing, college degree, money, 2,500 square foot house on five acres. Not that that's what I want, I'm just saying. With goats and chickens. No neighbors. Car that runs. Right? Clothes that still fit. <laughs> Whatever it is you're chasing, I want to remind you, like we're reminded that only Jesus, that's his place. It's his place in your heart to fulfill and give you joy beyond any. And once you experience that, your life will be different. So I'm asking, I'm praying this for myself. I'm like, Lord, I'm confessing that I have tried to find meaning in something or someone other than you. Like that song we sing, Lord, make my heart believe. Help me find my meaning in you. That's our prayer this morning. I want to end with this quote from St. Augustine or Augustine, however you want to pronounce him one of the fathers of the church, he said this, you have made us for yourself. God has made you for his glory. That's what Isaiah says. He's made you for himself, but it doesn't end there. And our hearts are restless until they rest in you. Man, may our hearts rest in Jesus this morning. Um, we're going to go into communion. We have it over there on that table. And what we're going to do is we have the juice in a cup, and we, underneath, we have two cups, and underneath the juice in the cup is a little piece of bread because we know we have some germaphobes. It's cool. You take that, and you pick it up. I'm going to pray, and we're going to lead through this song and it's in this time that we're asking you to commune with the Lord. This is his supper. This is between you and him for those in Christ. We take this as a reminder, as a memorial. Jesus said, remember this when you remember me when you do this. And so we remember him. We need to be rem reminded. He's better. Jesus is better. So as we do this, this will be a time I want to encourage you. This is going to change from week to week. Sometimes like take it and hold it. We're going to take it together. Today, I'm just going to ask you to take it and, and take it with your family. Take it by yourself. This is between you and the Lord. Um, I took it with Christine earlier because I knew I wouldn't be able to take it and I prayed with her. And I want to encourage you, if that's what you need to do, do that. 
but I love it. I love it, I love it, that I can taste the forgiveness that I need, that I need to believe, I need to be reminded. You are forgiven, past, present, and future. So we're going to do that this morning while we sing. Let's pray, and we'll continue to worship. God, thank you, Lord, for being a God that cares enough about his people to speak the truth, to know our tendencies, Lord, to, to give us a guy like Solomon or whoever this preacher was that could experience all the world had to offer and still at the end of the day, at the end of his life, realize it was like chasing the wind. You could never get enough, that it would always leave you wanting more. Lord, we are no different. We are a people that long for fulfillment, that long for purpose, that long to be satisfied, that long for contentment. Father, the world tells us that we can find it in the things of this world, and you remind us that it's only found in Jesus Christ. Lord, we take a, a big breath. We breathe in and we breathe out. Lord, we throw our hands up, and we say, Lord, this is your life. And I know that there are some of us that really struggle with this. And I think we all struggle at times. And I pray, Lord, you would, by your spirit, by your grace, give us the power to believe that Jesus is better. And when we don't, Lord, we thank you for your grace. It says, I've forgiven you for that. That you're a father that welcomes his children back to his arms. So faithfully, so patiently, so tenderly, so kindly. Lord, we confess that we've tried to find this meaning in anything other than you. And Lord, we know that we can only find that in you. As we worship, Lord, as we commune with you, as we remember what you've done for us on the cross, Lord, I pray your blessing upon this church, upon these people. Make our hearts believe, Lord. Our hearts are restless until we find our rest in you. Give us rest in you right now, Jesus. And I pray this in your name. Amen.